Hello, and welcome to Grow With Soul. I'm Kate Ferris, a coach, writer, hiker, and recovering high achiever, and this is a work in life podcast. Join me for discussions and musings about how our work can be a small and magical part of a bigger, more meaningful life. So come on in, get comfy, and let's begin. Hello, welcome back to Grow With Soul. Today is the first Q&A episode of this new iteration of the podcast, and I do have to say that everybody who submitted questions on Instagram absolutely knocked it out of the park. You understood the assignment. Your questions were so thoughtful and piercing, and it has been a wonderful challenge and also real joy to put this episode together. In fact, your questions were also so numerous that I have had to split them into two episodes. So your more kind of practical, efficient, worky kind of questions will be coming another day. But today is all about mindset and the emotional experience of this thing. There are questions on peace and crisis, on comparison, overcoming negative emotions, thinking differently, all these kind of pressing things that just loom over you. So I'm here with my cup of tea and let's get to it. So first question is, how can one get balance when all the world around her is crashing down? God, I felt this. I'm sure everybody feels this and actually at first when I saw this question I thought well how am I supposed to answer this and then and then I realised I may be one of the better people to talk on this because the world has been crashing down around me for over a year now where first there was the realisation that my relationship wasn't right and then the decision to end it and then the ending itself and then months where I moved out, um, all the sort of financial implications in the meantime, selling the house and then going to the breast clinic and then the UTIs and the knee injury and the family bereavements and the emotional and physical house of horrors that is dating and the dissatisfaction in work and the desperation to just stop the world because I want to get off for five minutes. And I say this not to partake in some kind of vulnerability Olympics and certainly not to kind of create some kind of scale of whose suffering is more serious and more justified. I just say it to say, I know what it's like to have the world crashing down and your version will be different to mine, but all of it is a crash. And the first thing I want to say is, let it. It's not your job alone to try to hold up the world and to be dashing around with saucepans trying to catch the falling pieces. So much of your suffering is in the holding, so let it fall. It won't be as bad as you fear it will be if you do and, you know, other than death, nothing is undoable. Once the world has finished crashing, which it will one day, 
when you and your loved ones are taking the pieces and building it back up and seeing the new shoots between the rubble, what will you not be able to live with yourself over? What will make future you wish you'd done differently? What will she squirm at? What will she regret? These become your non-negotiables and everything else can fall away for a time. So for me, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if I'd allowed my health to continue to plummet, if I'd not kept up with financial responsibilities and if I'd not reinvested in the most important relationships in my life. So those three things became my priorities and for everything else, including work, I did the bare minimum. And actually, the bare minimum is often more than enough. Don't think of balance as a destination, but as a series of moments. I can feel a hint of this in your question, the wanting to be in a state of balance or of getting to balance. First of all, I don't think this is something that we can really ever achieve. The author Marley Grace, who wrote the book Getting to Centre, she posted on her stories the other week that the only consistent practice I maintain is coming back from abandoning my practice over and over again until I die and replace practice with balance or with anything and you kind of have your new rallying cry. It feels like the truest thing in the world to me that balance, however you're defining it, is never a place to live, but a place to continue to remember to prioritise. So where can balance, or let's call it peace, because I kind of sense that's what this question asker is wanting, exist in moments? Maybe when you lock the door before you go to bed at night, you open it a fraction and take a breath of the cold air and see if there are any stars. And if there are, think about all the eyes that have ever looked at them. Maybe you sit in the bottom of your wardrobe and close your eyes for five minutes. Maybe you drink your morning coffee without looking at your emails. Maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you keep your phone upstairs for a morning. Just moment by moment thinking, how can I feel peaceful? How can I choose myself? It doesn't have to be a lot. It just has to be something. And you will come through this. Next, we have, well, I've kind of put two questions together because they're very similar. So one was, how do I work on my mindset of comparison and thinking I'm not good enough in my business? And the second was, how do you quieten the noise of others in the same space as you? So I think we think it's, in inverted commas, good business to look at competition or other people in our space or the people we want to be like. We think like it's market analysis or something. And maybe we really believe it or maybe we're just telling ourselves that, but what we really enjoy is pressing the bruise by looking at people who are doing so much better than us. And I'm going to tackle the first one first. So you do not need to be looking at other people. You need to be making great work. If you seek clarification or inspiration or direction, get it from inside yourself and from the people you want to serve, not 
from people doing the same kind of thing as you. There is barely ever a time you actually need to look at what others are doing. But if you do, go with a specific focus. So for example, when I was writing my new about page, I looked at literally two coaches that I really respected just to kind of see how they'd structured it. And then I just got out of there. You don't need to be following people who do the same thing as you unless, you know, they're your friend and you don't really get swayed by what they're doing. And, you know, you literally don't have to. There, There isn't a rule that says that you have to do that. The last thing I'd say on this is how can you be so different? You don't know who your competitors even are. That's where I'd love for you to get to. And for me, there isn't really anyone out there that I feel blows me off course because there isn't anyone out there that is really doing anything exactly the same. And generally, if you want to work with me, you want to work with me, you're not kind of choosing between similar options because there's kind of a certain nuance or specificity to my work. And so it doesn't kind of matter who I follow or don't follow because there's nobody that is in making noise that is distracting me. And so you only really get there by listening to the people that you work with and following what fascinates you. Just focus on doing great work. Now to the bruise presses. I was one of you. Maybe three years ago, maybe a bit more, there were certain people I followed because I wanted to make myself feel a bit shit every time they had a new book out or were doing some kind of prestigious talking event or they got a brand partnership or had something published somewhere. And that gorgeous, painful, addictive, crushing, enlivening feeling of hating yourself a little bit because someone else is better than you. And so what we need to do is find a better feeling, a feeling that's more positive, that lasts, that builds up to even better feelings. Confidence is one of those feelings. So is capability, peace, joy, creativity, competence, freedom. Take your pick. When do you feel that better feeling? Is it when you complete something? When you do some personal practice? When you exercise? When you cook? Whatever it is, when you feel yourself navigating to the profile of a person you use to feel shit about yourself, do that thing instead. Focus on your own goals. Now, I see this play out with clients where we will set goals and the direction they want to go in and I see them there on Zoom so centred and confident in what they're doing and then we meet again and they are starting to doubt because someone in a group they joined is having a 10k week and maybe they're doing the wrong thing because they're not having a 10k week. Be good enough by your own standards. Set goals that are about what you want, how you want to feel, what you want your life to look like, and stand by them. Other people's goals are great for them, but they're not your goals. And lastly, when you see someone who has achieved something or their business is a certain way, ask yourself, what kind of life would I have to have to get that? 
So for example, I used to get comparison around people who were asked to do a lot of speaking gigs. But I actually didn't want to be a person who had to like organise accommodation and then drive for six hours and then like get all nervous the night before and have to resize the PowerPoint at the last minute and then make small talk at the thing and then drive back six hours again. I actually wanted to be a person who sat at home and wrote. So grounding into the reality can really help knock you out of comparison and you know, I've not wanted to do a speaking gig since. Next question. How to cultivate the mindset to get to where I know I want? And I feel the key to this is an acceptance of your worthiness to claim that thing you want. I'm not saying believe it because like, come on, (laughs) I'm not that hard a taskmaster. It is one hell of a leap to go from I think I know what I want to like fully wholeheartedly believing in your worthiness and capability of having it. It can feel like too much of a stretch, too big of a task before you even start and it can kind of make you shy away from the entire endeavour. But instead, accept the possibility that you might be worthy and capable. Just crack that door open so you can just slip inside no guarantees, there's no definites, just a hypothesis. And what do we do with a hypothesis? We test it. What might a person who is worthy and capable of what you want do? What would be their first step? What would be their plan? Who would they talk to? Where would they seek support? Because they definitely would seek support. What would they, and this is crucial, stop doing? How would they approach tasks? How would they approach their life? How would they deal with stress? How would they respond to that email? How would they nourish themselves? What would they choose to do on an unseasonably warm day? It's all about the decisions from here on out. The choices you make are going to define the speed and the angle of your course alteration. The big ones, the little ones, the ones you take as your old self and your new self. And there's no right speed and angle to your course alteration. It's like you're not trying to hit maximum warp speed because actually that's just going to tilt you off and you're going to fall off course altogether. This isn't a march of infinite progression where one wrong decision means you might as well just give it all up. It's a tug of war. Sometimes you'll go one way, sometimes you'll go the other, but at least you are trying more often than not to be the person who is worthy and capable of what you want. Be is the operative word here. Don't wait until everything is perfectly in place before you start having what you want. Look around for opportunities. An unexpected afternoon with nothing in the calendar that is an opportunity to go out into the woods. If you finished that task quicker than you thought, well, maybe half an hour of painting is there for the taking. If you're not really feeling up for it one morning, well, that might be a chance to have those slow mornings you crave. The more you make those choices and start living in the tiny pockets, that life that you want, 
you're not only becoming the person worthy and capable of what you want, you are actually living what you want. So next was your personal tips for getting out of daily emotional lows. How do you cope with them now? I have ummed and ahed over this question. First read, I thought, oh yes, I get this. And then I thought, oh wait, no, I don't. And actually the truth is that I don't really experience daily emotional lows as pain or like sadness, but I do get exhausted and I am realising over recent weeks, numbness. The first of these I believe is down to like a hell of a year and a whole lot of like cortisol in my body and my stress response currently being just to fall asleep at any given moment. But the second one is one that I'm actively doing. And I'm a bit embarrassed to say this, but here we go. Um, My screen time is currently upwards of six hours a day. And I can tell you exactly what that time is spent doing. It's going into my explore page where I allow clips of the US office and other early 2000 sitcoms, viral TikToks and Twitter memes, I allow them to simply enter my eyeballs. I am barely there. I'm barely choosing. I am receiving but not registering moving images into my brain. And I did wonder what was wrong with me, but then I realised that I was numbing. That's what I go there to do. And I pick up my phone when something gets hard or when I'm trying to avoid something because I just want to numb out. So I guess the true answer to your question is that is how I cope with daily emotional lows. I know that's really not the answer you were hoping for, but you know, we're not all where we want to be. And sometimes we go around another loop before we can move forward. One sliver of hope is that I have realised I do now have a kind of internal daily alarm that tells me it's outside time. So quite like a dog, in fact, once it gets to about 3pm, my body and brain starts asking for walkies. Often when I'm dealing with a problem or I can't focus, a walk is my solution. And I've done it enough that it's an automatic response now. Almost as automatic as picking up my phone. But like, sad means outside. And that just came from habit and routine of just going out every day, rather than a kind of force of mind of like, oh, every time I feel sad, I'm gonna go outside. No, I was outside. And that generated the need. It became the solution before I needed a solution. Okay, next question. How do you overcome guilt to pursue the life you want? And this is so interesting to me because guilt over choosing to pursue a certain life is not something that I have experienced. And also, guilt is such a unique feeling and experienced in a different specific way by every person. Perhaps you feel it 
as shame, perhaps as anger, perhaps as humiliation, perhaps it gnaws, perhaps it burns, perhaps it needles. The real question here is, there is an uncomfortable negative emotion which is stopping me from claiming or tainting my experience of pursuing the life I want. How do I stop those effects? In this way, we can replace guilt with any other emotion that is coming up, resentment, unworthiness, sadness. I think that reframing the question in this way, taking the power out of big loaded words like guilt and making them just a feeling within your body makes this easier to deal with. Investigate this feeling. When do you feel it and where do you feel it? Is it constant? Is it infrequent? What are you doing or thinking about when you feel it most intently? How do you know it's this feeling when you feel it? How does it feel different to other emotions? Where does it live in your body? What words come to mind? What pictures? Isolate this feeling from all the other mess of emotions. When have you felt like this before? Say you get a tug in your chest. When before have you had this tug in your chest? Maybe it was when your kid banged her head at school and you went there and you felt so guilty and now you feel that same guilt. What story is that attached to? A story that mothers are selflessly always on hand tend to their children and not go off pursuing their own things? maybe we have a root here. This is all just information. It's not to judge yourself or anyone else from your past. It's not to point fingers or find blame. I find that self-awareness can so often become a reason one is the way they are and an excuse. It can stop at the awareness rather than saying, okay, I understand where this is coming from, so I'm going to do this. So without any kind of information on the stories, it's hard for me to say here in this podcast, and here's how you overcome it. And, you know, as if anyone other than you can do that anyway. But this is, I hope, a start. And the main thing is in the asking of the question, you are so close to the tipping point where the wanting is stronger than the guilt. Your attention and energy has power. Put the power behind the wanting and not the thing that's blocking. Okay, and now this is our final question. How to stop being scared to make a change when you're not happy with work? So don't try to stop being scared. If you're trying to stop being scared, then you're putting all of your energy into stopping being scared instead of actually doing anything about the change you want to make. And it's fruitless too. We are hardwired for fear. Fear is there to keep us alive and it will be our constant companion until the day we die. Fear is useful. It tells us to get the hell out of a bad situation and it's what tells us this is important. The things we feel fear around are the things that are most important to us. So when I feel 
scared about a work thing, I think, well, this sucks, but at least I know I'm onto something. So what we have to do is not stop being scared, but do the thing while being scared. A good place to start with this is logic. A very common thing to be scared about is finances. So get crystal clear on numbers. Often we're scared to do this, but actually things tend to feel a lot more doable when you know the exact to two decimal places figure you need to survive. You can also use logic to show yourself that you have yet, in all your years of life, failed so badly that you ended up on the street. That the worst case scenario has never happened. But if it did, what would you do? What would the backup plan be? Create yourself a safety net so you know that every time you get scared about something, you can stop the spiral going below that safety net. And lastly, don't spend too long looking at the big picture. I've used this analogy before, but when you're climbing a mountain, if you look at the summit every five seconds, it never gets any closer and it feels more and more impossible. When you look at the five steps in front of you, when you take a rest stop, when you look back at the view from where you've come, when you look to just the next gate, When you eventually do look at the summit again, it suddenly feels much closer. Looking at the big picture can freak you out because you start to worry about how the hell you're going to do step six and it's never going to work. But when you've done steps one through five, step six is nothing more than the next step. So just do the thing that's in front of you because that's the least scary thing. And that's it for today. You can find the show notes for this episode on my website at simpleinseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Instagram at simpleinseason. I haven't asked this for a while, but if you do enjoy the show, if you did enjoy this episode, it would be great if you could leave a review there in your podcast app. If you are in Apple Podcasts, you just kind of like keep scrolling down and it will come up. And or do send this episode to a friend that you think could really do with listening to it. And until next time, I hope you grow a song. <laughs>